Let's ask God to bless our time. Dear Lord, we're very grateful to be in your word. We'd ask that we would be valuing it at the level you've asked of us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We're looking at Mark chapter 10, and in Mark chapter 10, as in two other Gospels, um, is the story of the rich young ruler. We sort of call it that, even though he's a ruler in one passage, young in another, uh, rich in all of them. We sort of piece together his character, a rich young guy. And believe me, this is one of those passages that has its own title. I have a note. Oh, the bit about the rich young ruler. It's like the good Samaritan, rich young ruler. It's like, he's famous. We don't know what happened to him, but he's famous. And given that that's the case, you may have heard many, many sermons on the subject. But there are some things that I noted going through it, because one of the passages out of it was quoted maybe by me this week in some other circumstance, but it was nagging at my mind. Um, and so I turned to it. And it was the passage right here at the beginning. As he was setting out on his journey, that's Christ, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. That was the passage that had jumped out at me. No one is good but God alone. Now, many people have preached sermons about how Jesus is sort of saying, Have you, do you know you've just called me God? Good teacher. No. That may, be, that may be in there. You may be playing that sort of situation. But when you read the rest of the passage, you begin to realize that all of us, no one, not just this, we tend to think about the rich young ruler and his unwillingness to give up his money and his stuff. And this is the first hint that when he, the Lord says, no one is good but God alone. And it's amazing we can sit back on our laurels, on our confident in ourselves, that we've arranged a life that is not quite so um, uh, condemnable as the rich young ruler. But stop and think about this guy, I mean, Jesus is heading off on a journey, heading to Jerusalem, in fact, but, but this guy runs up. I mean, has, does this happen to you? You're packing up, you're going to Disneyland, and, and somebody runs up and says, I've got to ask you a question, falls to his knees. You know, I, I consider myself a reasonably able pastor, but nobody does that at my house running up to the house as I'm driving off to Winco. Evan, I've got to talk to you on their knees. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And they never ask a question that good. Ever. I have had one time in street evangelism, one time when some, of course it was the 70s, someone 
said, what must I do to be saved? I mean, actually used that phrase. But it doesn't happen. But what must I do to inherit? On his knees. And we know from later on that he's... Well, let's go on with the passage. You know the commandments. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. He's not only... He's probably tall, too. Tall, witty, charming, good citizen, on his knees before Jesus. This make him an elder. Oh yeah, he's wealthy. Oh, really make him an elder. Right now. We're, we're thinking something else. We're thinking he satisfies so much of the religious world's desire and expectation that it was not surprising to me when this was back when I think Gene Thomas was speaking at the sub building, this is probably 35 years ago, um, and somebody who was speaking on the good, the rich young ruler, and how Jesus, somebody came up to him afterwards and told him that Jesus was wrong in how he treated the rich young ruler. Because this person was asking for the message of salvation and Jesus says, hey, keep the rules. And the guy has already kept the rules. We're going to make this guy an elder really quick. Rich, rule-keeping, eager to know from Jesus what he should do next. Let's find out what he should do next. And Jesus looked upon him and loved him, just in case you were wondering whether or not Jesus had a bad attitude to the rich. No, he didn't like the rich. He liked this guy. This guy had made a good impression. Now, Jesus could be loving him even though he made a bad impression, but Jesus, Jesus loved him and said to him, one, you lack one thing. Now, I want you, I bolded that. This didn't come out of the Bible with these boldings previously done. You lack one thing. But he seems to tell him two. You lack one thing. He seems to tell him two, unless we naturally make it two because we want to pick up each one separately. Go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. So if the word is right, that it is one thing he lacks, you've got to treat that as one thing. Because it doesn't, Jesus Christ is not trying to get you to be an ascetic. That just giving up things in the world is a thing in itself. Join a monastery. Do without. Because it's really the last bit that is the crisis moment. Because this young man would like to follow Jesus if it didn't involve him giving up everything he had. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good, the teacher. 
I'm the best kind of person you could meet. Got money, I could donate to your ministry. And I'm interested in all these things, and I'm interested in your teaching, good rabbi. At that saying, his countenance fell. We don't use that phrase. But it, we all know. We know, what that, we know what that look is. His countenance fell. Oh. You could do memes. You could find memes online that showed people with their countenance falling. And he went his way away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. He did not follow Christ. He did not do what was asked of him. We don't know anything more about him. That's it. He was loved by Jesus Christ. He had everything going for him. And the Lord brings up this. Now what I want you to be thinking of is because I said at the beginning, no one is good but God alone. We, uh, we like to find what's wrong with this guy. And thank you, Lord, for not making me like the rich young ruler. But this is the crisis of... This is the crisis moment for us all. Because no one is good but God alone, we are uh, constantly wanting half measures of goodness. We'd like to have as much of goodness from Jesus Christ as we're willing to accept, but not his goodness totally. Because this rich young ruler had many possessions, it wasn't that he was a hoarder. He said, oh, he had so many possessions, he didn't know how to keep his house neat. No, he liked his stuff. Why did he like his stuff? Because his stuff was his measure of how he governed his life. How he made rich young ruler's life desirable for the rich young ruler. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if there is, if we're all outside the kingdom of God, right? We're all looking to enter it. And no one is good but God. This is one example of a non-goodness that keeps you from entering the kingdom. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He leaves out the wealthy at that point. How hard it is. You know how hard it is. Because it's basically this conflict on there's no one good but God. That is being measured by the one agent who made heaven and earth, who made the universe, who has things the way he wants them to be, and he will judge the living and the dead by what they have done, for what they have done. That's what makes morality morality. But... We would rather be deciding for ourselves. We would rather be doing our measure 
and, and, and sufficient interest in spiritual things, go to a Bible study, maybe go to a, a marriage conference, show people you're kind of interested in, join the Rotary, be a good member of the society, do all the right things, never get caught, you know, drunk and disorderly. You, you've, got, you've got this worked out. You say, okay, I'll pay off the good aspect of the world. I will pay on enough. Couldn't I have eternal life for enough? And the Lord says, one thing you lack is following me. And no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, no one who does not renounce all that he has, none of them. If you love father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, more than me, you're not worthy of me. These are all quotes of Jesus Christ <coughs> telling you how good you have to be. How, but it's not how good. It's a matter of how, what's the word? How aware it is that he is good and nothing you can arrange is going to be good enough. You've heard me say before in the, the, the argument on theodicy that, that people blame God for the way the world is and not, I say no. The world is little children die of awful diseases because you're awful. You particularly are awful. You have made the world this way. Every one of us have decided that we really, really, really want to do what we want to do. And that gives permission to every man and every woman to do what they want to do. And they sometimes want to do just awful things. Because you want to do something just kind of reasonably awful. They get to do the worst thing. And the world has got to carry and suffer for all of that wickedness that you, you particularly, not you as the general person in this crowd, you individually assign your name to it. Because you decided you were going to run your life when there's only one good, and that is God. You decided you were going to have your good your way, which was do all the right rules, Boy Scout life, and have a lot of possessions because money answers everything and money will fix it and I'll be comfortable. I'll do all the good things and I'll donate but I'm going to have a lot of money because that's how I'm happy. And Jesus said you have a choice here of following me or following that and there is one good and that is God. What's it going to be? And he went away sorrowful most of the world walks away because they really want to have it their way. When you say one thing you lack, you could put anything, not money, but not be money for you. You might be, you know, willing to shop at the co-op. You might shop to get all your clothes at Goodwill and, and Hope Center. You might like deals and, and really have a strong budgetary, what's the guy's name who talks to Christians about budgets? Gordon, what's his name? Gordon Ramsay yells swear words at people in the kitchen, right? Dave Ramsey. I can't keep up with popular culture. You might be just really practical about your money. I don't need a lot of money. I just need a, you know, just need my health. 
I just need my family. Family's what's really important. Jesus says, unless you hate your mom and your dad. Unless, he doesn't say love them less. He says, unless you hate. Notice how many towards my, my wife said this was effective. <laughs> but the Lord said, hate your mother and your father. Now, I'm, I'm sure you have reasons not to follow this itinerant Jewish rabbi who made tables and decided he was God. And at this point, you might want to back away. You might even go away sorrowful. You think, I thought he was a good ethical teacher, but he didn't include family values in that. He didn't include the worship of money in that. He didn't include American exceptionalism in that. Whatever you're, whatever's big for you, whatever you can't imagine turning away from, you have to for Jesus Christ. Now, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And don't anybody dare tell me about the gate in the city wall that was called the eye of the needle that camels had. There was no such gate. Somebody invented that story. It's just hard. A needle is this big. An eye of a needle, well, you've threaded a needle before. Try next time you have a needle. Go get a camel and, and run the camel through that. The Lord wants not... You, you, you're going to find out that he doesn't want you not to be rich. He doesn't want you not to have a family. He doesn't want you not to love your parents. He doesn't want you to have good budgetary pro, you know, processes. He wants to be followed. And he knows since there is no one good but God, your rebellion is going to be in light of some of these claimed goods and answers. Where you decided to follow you and your decision instead of him and his. And unless you follow Jesus Christ, don't expect your life to be any other than you know, the, some kind of movie trope where little, some goody two-shoes in a church community in a small town living out your life that no one remarks on and raising kids that are marginal. You want to raise kids in the light? You want to raise kids? You want to have your marriage be good? You follow Jesus Christ. And that means the kids can't be more important than Jesus. I do know, I've said this before, I know people, Christians, who I think are going to heaven, who would deny Jesus Christ if it meant saving the life of their child. Think about that. But kids, I know people who would probably deny Jesus Christ if it made saving a baby seal from getting beaten to death for a fur coat. But they're important. I saw them on a bumper sticker. Well, I actually saw one on a bumper sticker. It was kind of funny. Um, you had this I love New York, you know, heart New York or something. It was I club baby seals. <laughs> America, make a living out of cruelty. Whatever your goodness Remember, there is none good but God. Just remember that. 
And what you set out as a goodness, which is you, part of you in the body of the Christians, the what do I have to talk like? What do I have to refer to? What is all souls all about? And I'll talk in those terms. You've got to be ready to drop everything good. It's not just, he didn't say, repent of your sins. This guy was a repentant good guy who had been successful in life. That's all. And they were exceedingly astonished, verse 26, because if, if this isn't working, remember our reaction to him ourselves, a petitioner falls at the knees, on his knees before Christ, wants to know what it is to eternal life, he's already rich, and he, you know, is a good guy, keeps all the rules. They're looking at each other, well, if this guy isn't ready for glory, what, I mean, who is? Because sometimes you think, and sometimes in America, some of you are able to put it together. You know, be successful. Good-looking kids. Good job. What else do you get? Decent house. Uh, things work out. You got good grades in college. Some of you succeed. And nobody looks at these things as bads because they're successes. We all got together and said, yeah, that's how the good life is made. That's how we'll make you have successful children as you will be successful yourself. They're astonished and said, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now I want you to be moving your mind away from the rich young ruler and the rich young, because most of us, we live in North Idaho, we're lucky to have jobs when we have them, we're lucky to pay our bills, and we're lucky to have our health, and um, God is merciful to us, but we're not, we're not looking around going, okay, wealthy. We're looking at someone from the outside who represents all of us. There's none good. No one is good but God. Who then could be saved? <coughs> if this guy, if this guy, you're just putting up this barrier of him giving away all his stuff, but it's his stuff. With men it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. A couple things you walk away from if you're going to pay attention to the sermon. That is, there's none good but God alone, and with God all things are possible. Right? As he told you both of those things. There's none good but God. So you might want to be suspicious of your activities. Because the goodness we have is in our pursuit, in our following of Christ. All the other goodness, what is the was it the prophet I say um, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags? Is that the prophet? Is that Isaiah? Is that <laughs> the pastor doesn't know. How can anybody? Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Everything we set up, we're setting up to have something other than God be good. I mean, that's what the setup in your life is. You are making choices. 
who you marry, what job you take, how much you get paid, where you invest it, what you think about family, what you think about good hard work, what you think about America, what you think about, you're coming up with a goodness. That there is none good but God and you and your arrangement. There's none good but God and you. And with God all things are possible and of course with you those things are possible. Because whatever we are setting up to choose to follow instead of Christ, we are claiming is that, that our choice is making us good instead of. Not that he isn't. We're not denying the goodness of God. We're adding our good. Well, I'm good too. Say, is there anything wrong with loving your family? Was there anything wrong with this guy having many possessions? What becomes wrong about it? What what became wrong? What became wrong about this man's possessions? He said, still one thing you lack. And what, remember I told you at the beginning, it was one thing? Give all the stuff away, sell it, give the proceeds to the poor, and follow me. And all you have to do is ask yourself the question about anything in your life. Do you love your wife so much that you could not choose between her and Jesus Christ? Not correctly, anyway. I mean... Supposed to love your wives, right? Christ loved the church. You ought to love your wives. Christ loved the church. But what if the choice was between your love for Jesus Christ and her? There's nothing wrong with the wealth. Nothing wrong with the wife. Nothing wrong with loving her. The one thing you lack is the inability to follow Christ. Because of that, And he went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. The possibility with God. With God is impossible. With man is impossible. With with, uh, God is possible. And we want to know what's going on. Because we know that Jesus is not just kind of mean. You know? Mr. Buzzkill in the universe that, oh, anybody has anything... I guess I'm going to have to move to Tulsa. Everyone hates Tulsa. Everyone. But God, if God finds out that you hate Tulsa, that's where he's going to call you to minister. Working at a 7-Eleven to support yourself. At a 7-Eleven in Tulsa, your life is going to be hell. Because, because God is that kind of God. This is Jesus loved this guy. He just loved him. But he said, you lack one thing. Do you look at Jesus Christ and say, above all else, more than anything, because your faith, if you want to check your faith, is it more than anything? The guy who was as ready as you could be, moral, rich and eager and asking the right guy the question goes away because he can't make the answer right because he found out that following Christ had to be second to following himself 
I was talking to a non-believer a couple days ago. And this non-believer was objecting to St. Paul's views on marriage. <laughs> and I said to this person, well, I listed their name, and then I listed St. Paul the Apostle. Who are you? Who are you? What makes you think you got a plan for human marriage, 6,000 years of human marriage, and you sitting on my couch think with the narcissism of the age that you've got a plan that you actually say, oh, I think St. Paul well, kind of offends me a little bit. Oh, does it offend you a little bit? You complete loser. You're a bad person. You're just awful. Not only are you awful, but because you claim the right to be good with God. God is good and you're good. Your arrangement of a Christian marriage ought to be this way. Well, guess what? You just told everybody who has another way of arranging marriage that they get to be just as good as they get to be. As they want to be. We have to choose to follow Jesus Christ in such a way that everything that we knew kind of was got a goodness to it, whether it's family or money or whatever else, did not trip us up. I have here on the side Mark 4 from the parable of the sower. These in like manner are the ones sown upon rocky ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation and persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, and are there those who hear the word. But the cares of the world, and the delight in riches, and the desire for other things, enter in, and choke the word, and it, it proves unfruitful. This is basically a problem of setup of goods. Some wicked people out there in the world go out and do wicked things thinking, well, it's what I want and I'm seeking pleasure. I, as long as I have a big mountain of pleasure and a small hill of pain, that's all that I can expect out of life. And some people go out and do awful things. You know, they're lying face down in their own vomit outside of John's Alley and they say, having a great time. But we are, we're good citizens here. We're, we keep the rules that Jesus listed, right? What are the commandments? Just do the right thing, right? Oh, yeah, I've done all that stuff. I even go to church, up that steepled church up, at the, up there. Is the Lord able to look at you and go, do you think you're good with me? Do you think your arrangement of your life, all the goods you've got, are good with me? Or is the goodness you have in life a gift of the one good God? Because that's what he asked, is that Peter began to say to him, verse 28, Lo, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, now this is where you find out that Jesus is not against the rich young ruler having stuff. Not against you having a family. Because the one thing we lack is whatever it is and following Jesus Christ. Can I put it down and follow Jesus Christ? I don't care if it's just your enjoyment of video games. Can you put it down and follow Jesus Christ? Can you 
put your interest in what are, what are, what are other people interested in? Anybody got a hobby? Cigars? Which are smoked in heaven, by the way. You might want to get used to it. Better neighborhoods. Whatever it is. Cigars, Legos. Um, maybe I'm not measuring my audience correctly. Fashion. Now I get to right. Fashion. Makeup. Pretty. I'm so pretty. Now, if I can't say I can put this aside to follow Christ, if I go away sorrowful, doesn't mean you weren't loved, doesn't mean you weren't eager, doesn't mean you weren't looking, doesn't mean you you can't you can justify yo. Well, I'm really you know I'm really honest. I'm 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 I'm, I'm involved. I do read my Bible occasionally. I think that's good. I'm going to read the Bible through the, the you know the year. I got got something worked out here. Are you following Jesus Christ? Because if you do, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Got that? It's for following him. It's for the gospel. For the sake of Jesus Christ. It's not just leaving them because leaving them is good. Because if leaving them were good, if not having stuff was good, being free of family, being free of wealth, being free of land was good, would Jesus turn around and say, and so I, it's like an investment. You're going to get given a hundredfold. When? Not in pie in the sky here by and by. It's now, in this time. Now, it says, it said, but I don't want a hundred children. It, understandable. They're pestilential. They really are awful. But a hundredfold is like hyperbole. It's like super. It's like you get super kids. You get super marriages. You get super lands. Because you know why? Because there's none good but God. And you turned and followed him, not clinging to that stuff. And he says, now I can trust you with that stuff. Now I can get you. You can see, you saw God do it with Job, right? He lost everything. He got given far more than he had lost. Now we're not a health and wealth sort of people. We're not claiming that it's all really important that you get all a hundredfold a return, otherwise God has cheated you. Because he does promise us houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Oh yeah, I've got a little addition there, blessing of getting your face beaten in by the authorities. They're honest about what, there's none good but God. He has given you the creation back again. And part of the creation is those that follow Jesus Christ will be persecuted. And in the age to come, eternal life. You notice how some people fell away in the parable of the sower because of persecution. And some people fell away because of delight and riches. 
Some from fear, some from fear of pain, some from joy and satisfaction and reward. You've got to ask yourself the questions. It doesn't matter how good you look in the resume of the story. The story looked great for this guy uh, to a certain point. Till he went away sorrowful for he had many possessions. I'm good. I want to know. I want to know from Jesus Christ. The Lord says, following me, my sake, the gospel. Is everything second to that? Does your wife know she's second to that? Do your kids know? Kids, gather around. I want to tell you a few things. First, there's Jesus Christ. Then there's your mother. And then, just for the good of their humility, it's probably my mother. Then it's probably my job. Then you. You can put the kid above the job if you want. Everyone should know. You should have processed this. Is Jesus Christ everything? Now, it says in verse 31, but many that are first will be last. The last first. This guy came in like all sorts of first place finisher. He had, he had it all. Um, we don't realize how much about our Christian life is us not trying to be good instead of God, or along with God, or, or with Christian terms. Our, our human goodness, what we selected, we title things out of church life. You call it fellowship. In other groups, it's just society. Is it fellowship, really? You know, because Jesus Christ saved these other people? Or is it another, you know, potluck, uh, enjoyable social time where cigars and, and good food is had, just like non-Christians have? Do we title it other things so we can keep ourselves fooled that the good things we try to erect instead of following Jesus Christ are not really Christian? They're just, they're just earthly good things. Can you set it aside? Are you willing to trust God that you'll have it given back to you? That whole sign of dying with Christ, I, have, I am not my own, I, I'm bought with a price. I have died. Christ lives in me. They were on the road. I added this last passage. I was going to stop there at verse 31. But I wanted to put this in because it occurs in the other Gospels as well. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. You can almost picture it. He was trying to leave. The young guy runs up with the question. Ooh, creates a discussion. They get on the road. Jesus is walking ahead. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. This, this is just, it's weirded them out, the whole situation. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And they go, yeah, we saw the sign. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit upon him, and scourge him, and kill him. 
and after three days he will rise. He just tells them, tells them the gospel right there. Says, this is what's going to happen on this road. Now you're going to choose to follow me. No wonder they were amazed. No wonder they are afraid. I think in the Luke account, let's see in the Luke account it says uh, at the end, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hid from them, and they did not grasp what was said. You're Christians. You can grasp it. These are, you know, not very bright guys. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're just figuring things out. They're just, you know, you rich people don't go to heaven? Ask yourself the question, where do you stand? Do you follow Christ this way? Or have you spent your whole life just arranging things into nice, neat piles of enjoyment and avoidance of pain? Nice, neat piles, and as long as they're good Christian piles, in other words, I'm not unfaithful to my spouse, and I'm, I'm not greedy, and I'm not this, that, and the other thing, I'll just have little piles of trips to Disneyland, and I'll have a, you know, I'll go to the doctor regularly and get checkups to make sure that I don't ever feel bad and have a really big Costco-sized bottle of ibuprofen so I don't feel anything. Are we just spending our time loving ourselves, designing a life that is our goodness, that we could not be asked to do without it? Could Christ ask you to do without it? This is what every wicked man on earth does. This is why evil exists, is because we think we have the right to design a goodness for ourselves. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful that you are good. And goodness, we find, is going to be found in you and your Son. We would ask that we would examine ourselves to see whether or not we withhold anything if anything is still lacking, that no matter how nice and Christian most of our arrangements are, we still can't submit ourselves to your will because we've had another arrangement, another goodness. Correct us, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen.